Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. That is Proverbs 24, verse 3. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack, and as I announced in the previous episode last week, We are changing the name of this podcast from Orphans No More to The Adoption, Foster Care, and Kinship Journey with Sandra Flack, me. And I explained it all in the previous episode. You can check out uh, episode 320 as for the why we are doing it. Uh, But we are doing that. It will begin to appear as um, the Adoption, Foster Care, and Kinship Journey uh, starting June 1st or our first episode that releases in June. Uh, And if you are a current subscriber, and I hope you are, uh, you won't have to do anything but just notice that the name will automatically appear change. So when you see the adoption, foster care, and kinship journey show up in your uh, podcast lineup, just know that that is us. Nothing else about the show is changing other than the name. We just have come to know that the name that we've been known by for about seven years now is really not exactly reflective of who we are and what we talk about and who our listener base is. Um, We're finding that those of you listening are like me, adoptive foster kinship uh, moms in particular, but dads listen to, uh, and you're tuning in for that support and that encouragement and other parents on this journey who need this resource, this podcast, they're not finding us because they would have to search orphan in order to find this podcast. And we want to be found by those who would really benefit from this podcast. So if you have not already subscribed, go on ahead and subscribe, leave a review, uh, and it will automatically change for you also. Uh, when the name changes starting in June. But I just wanted to give you uh, that alert so that you know what's going on. We will be taking to social media, uh, emails and all of that to let people know uh, of the official name change. But I'm giving everybody a heads up here as well. So that is the down low on that. And I'm so super excited to bring to you um, a guest today. So Today, uh, we have a dear, sweet adoptive mama who reached out to me after listening to this podcast. We chatted via Zoom, and I'm now thrilled to have her on the show so you can meet her too. So we appreciate it when you send in emails and or reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. And when you ask questions, 
I do personally respond and answer. And sometimes, like like with Cammie today that we're going to be talking to, really she had some big questions and it wasn't really something I felt I could just rattle off in an email. So I said, hey, let's schedule a Zoom call. Let's get to know one another. Um, I want to encourage you. So that's what we did. So if you reach out, uh, if you're feeling like you'd like a one-on-one, you'd like to chat with me, you'd like to set up a Zoom, or if you just have questions that you feel like I just, you know, I'll send an email and just answer in an email. If you want to connect either way, email or via Zoom, reach out to us. Um, you can contact me through the ministry website, justicefororphansny.org, or email me directly at sandraflack, jfo at gmail.com. That is what today's guest did. Cami uh, Skydeman, she is a busy mom of six and a grandmother of three. She's an educator, a pastor's wife, and an advocate for the fatherless. Cammie and her husband, Dale, have adopted from Vietnam and Ukraine. We share that similar heart string. Uh, And they have also been therapeutic foster parents. Cammie is a TBRI practitioner. For those of you who uh, are familiar with TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, Uh, And she has also received trauma training through Back to Back's Trauma Competent Care. So if you're familiar with our dear friend, uh, Jane Schooler, who was part of that. Um, So Cammie is, I know, someone you're going to love to hear from. She loves to teach connecting principles to adoptive and foster families here in the States and around the world. So please welcome Cammie Skydeman. Hey, Cammie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I, I'm so honored to be here, Sandra. Thank you. Well, I'm honored to have you back and I'm grateful for your grace because our listeners may not know this, but this is take two <laughs> for you and I because I deleted our last conversation before it made it to the air. So we had to get back together, which we were totally willing to do, thrilled to do, actually. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we've been just having a good time, so we figured we better press record and actually let our <laughs> listeners in on this. Um, That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we trust God. So we trust we're God. Thankful. <laughs> we're thankful and we've just so connected. I know um, you sent me a dear, you sent me a precious package in the mail recently. I didn't even know it was coming. Uh, We had ordered things for something else. So I just said to my son, oh, put all those boxes over there and I'll get to them. And then when I went to get to them, I'm like, wait, this is, this is, this is a surprise. And just so precious that you sent me some, some just precious sweet things, some soap and some Ukrainian chocolate and um, just a a plaque. And just, I was just, it ministered to me because, you know, days are, days are challenging with our kids and it it arrived on a day where I just needed that hug. And that's what it felt like a hug. So thank you so much. That blesses me. You're so welcome. Well, well, thank you. I was blessed. I was blessed. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, You reached out to me uh, after being, having, been listening and we connected and I'm just so thrilled that you did. Uh, but I want my listeners to, to get to know you too. So let's start with your adoption story. Um, you you uh, you and your husband uh, have adopted from Vietnam and from Ukraine. So let's just start with what led you to adopt. Okay, that's a great place to start. Well, I would say The thought of adoption was something we talked about when my oldest daughter 
was a baby. And so actually that was way back in 1991. I was a school teacher, had this little precious baby girl and I was teaching um, third grade. And there was a little girl in my class who came from a very broken, a very, very difficult background. She lived with an elderly relative and um, her mother was in a traveling circus and she didn't know anything about her father. And so this precious little girl was in trouble a lot. And every Monday, every Friday, she would be so excited because she would tell me, I'm, I'm going to get to see my mommy this weekend. And then every Monday she would just be so angry and upset because her mother did not come home. And so, um, it ended up that she had a CASA worker and, you know, my heart just broke for her. I had no training in anything then except elementary education and an early childhood degree. Um, so I said to the CASA worker one day, I said, you know, my husband and I would love, we would take her, we would be a foster parents because the person that she was living with, as I said, was elderly and was really struggling. And, at that time, I had no training, and I really thought, this little girl just needs love. That's mm -hmm. all she needs, just love. But the CASA worker in her wisdom said, oh, no, you have a baby at home. I would never place this little girl in your home. And um, actually, about a year later, um, she was moved into foster care, and she attempted to burn the house down that, in which she was living. And um, my heart still, I still think of her quite often, but that was really the first time my husband and I had sat down and talked about adoption. So I knew he was open to it. He knew I was open to it. So fast forward um, several years to about 2005, and I, I was having tea, afternoon tea time with one of my best friends on her front porch. And I sit down, we get our tea, and she says, Cammy, I have the most exciting news. We're going to adopt. We're adopting mm. for Vietnam, and we're going to adopt two children. And I said, you're kidding. We had never talked about adoption. And so I was just so excited with her and reveling in that. And this, this is an important part of the story, so I'm going to tell it now and explain it in just a minute. But she said, and guess what? We even have the funding they were good friends with someone who was wealthy and they had shared their um, heart's desire with this person. And that person said, oh, oh, it's it's a new program. Oh, it costs $25,000 for one. That's great. Oh, you would really like two children? Well, here's a check for $50,000. Wow. And so they had their money. So exciting for them. So I go home and I, I mentioned that to my husband. Do you know what our friends are doing? They're adopting for Vietnam. So my husband, um, his first career is a mathematician. So he thinks very logically. Um, he makes very intentional decisions. He typically doesn't make quick decisions because you, you have to know where you're going. You list the pros, the cons. You think about it. You pray about it. That day he shocked me. He said, uh, well, what do you think about that? And I said, yeah, that's awesome. I think we should do that. And he said, me too. <laughs> wow. And 
And then he said, and you know, at our ages, because we were older, we already have three bios. He said, we better get started. And I said, great. And, and what God had been doing in his heart that I didn't know about. My husband is a pastor and now he's a pastor (laughs) and he had been preaching through the book of James. And he said, when he preached through chapter one, verse 27, God had laid that on his heart that that true and undefiled religion is, you know, to keep yourself unspotted from the world and to um, rescue orphans and widows in their distress. So God had put that seed in his heart. That's how our entire journey started in adoption. And um, just a side note, the reason that I mentioned the funding is that process for us took, it lacked one week of being a two-year process. And a lot of that was fundraising. God knew we would need that time. That's when I started learning about grants. Um, No one ever mentioned that to us, but because God allowed us to work through funding and it grew our faith, our faith just, we really realized God put us on this journey. He had already prepared the way we just needed to walk in faith. But now something I get to do is work with other families who are needing adoption funding. And had we just been given a check, I wouldn't have gone through what we did for two years so that I can help other families. And I just see God's hand Mm. in the entire process. Oh, I love that. Walking by faith. Uh, And I can relate. I can relate to that. So you did adopt from Vietnam also, correct? You adopted twice. So I know. Yeah. So you said your friends actually adopted there. So that kind of put you on that track for for Vietnam. No, actually, we when we met with um, the adoption attorney, we decided to go with the same one they were using. She was a Christian and we met with her and we really didn't know where to start. So honestly, we started thinking domestic and she was very honest and said, you could, but you already have three children. There's a great need internationally. Um, I, she thought time-wise we would probably get our child. We were thinking one at that time quicker. So we actually decided to go international and then because God still had to grow our faith some, we actually chose Ukraine for two reasons. Um, the cost, actually, it was really, um, of all the options, was the least cost, the costly. And, sh- and our attorney also said, have you thought about two? Have you thought about a sibling set? Because once your three bio kids are grown and out, you're still going to have one. And so you can have two. And we thought that was a great idea. Just immediately, I think uh, Holy Spirit said, yes, that's, that's what I want you to do. And Ukraine was, it was very nice because they didn't double every fee to bring home two. So we thought it would be, be very doable. So we actually started in Ukraine. Um, So that was about in 2005, we had our entire dossier completed. And as you know, Sandra, (laughs) they closed. And if you don't mind, I would like to do a shout out um, about your book, Orphans No More. 
I want to read a paragraph because this struck me after I finished reading your book, God revealed something to me that had never entered my mind. So this is the same timing when you were adopting and, and you experienced the, the, the temporary shutdown. So here is what you say on page 10 of your book. In January, we were notified that Ukraine temporarily closed their adoption program for reorganization. Frustrated and disappointed, we waited again. I added wait to the list of four-letter words I detested. <laughs> I love that. What's interesting is when our adoption attorney asked to see us, we had a face-to-face -face meeting, and she told us about the shutdown. It didn't occur to us one time to wait. Mm. That's very interesting to me. Immediately, we felt like, okay, we need to pick another country. And you must have, it, not, it must not have entered your mind to pick another country. Right. Wow. And isn't that God's leading in our life? Yeah. Mm. I, I read that. It struck me. And I just need to say thank you, Heavenly Father. So she says to us, our attorney, Vietnam is just opening. It is, it's going to be a lot more costly. If you want to, every cost is doubled. There's, there's no breaks there. And since it is a new country, you know, it's kind of like a pilot. We don't know exactly how it's going to go, but our friends were adopting there. And honestly, other countries were open to us that she was working with. Um, we trusted her. We loved her heart for the Lord. This was her mission. This was not her job. Um, that's how she viewed it. And that's how she came across. So that's how we ended up choosing Vietnam. Wow. What an incredible testimony there. So tell us, so you chose Vietnam. What was the process like? How long did it take to get your, your kids? When did they come home? Kind of unpack all that for us. Sure, sure. Now, in your story, Orphans No More, um, you had a lot of delays, twists and turns, moments when you're just crying out to God, please, Lord, you're the only one that can get us through this process. That is how our experience in Vietnam was. So we're called to Vietnam. We go, we get there. And for some reason, the orphanage will not allow us in to even meet our children. Wow. We were stuck there almost three weeks. We had no clue what was going on. Nobody could tell us what was going on. And as you know, when you go to another country your attorney in the U.S. is kind of hands off. You are there with attorneys, facilitators, interpreters from that country. Right. So we are really becoming very frustrated. So at the beginning of the third week, we go down to the hotel lobby where the computer is because that was so long ago. Um I, I didn't have a laptop. I mean, you know, technology was just yeah. starting to boom then. So I used the hotel computer and sent an email to my parents because everybody was praying for us. Our church was praying for us. They're not understanding why they're not getting um, information from us. So I said to my mother, we don't know what to do. We think we might visit the U.S. Embassy tomorrow and just ask them, can you help us? 
can we meet our children? So that night at about 12.30 a.m., our phone rings in our hotel, and it's one of the Vietnamese lawyers there who starts screaming at me, you will not visit the embassy or you will never take these children home. Hmm. So that was terrifying because then we knew she was able, the only way she knew that was by reading my email that I had sent to my parents. And so that opened our eyes. Oh, this is much bigger than we realized. And there is something. However, that was all, that was God's blessing because um, I did what any wife would do when they're in fright. I hand the phone to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks to her. And we, we learn that Angelina Jolie is there at our orphanage, adopting her Vietnamese son. Mm. And they are so excited and enthralled that um, an actress from America is there. That's what was causing our orphanage to shut down. That was the reason. So at least we knew what was going on Mm -hmm. and that helped. Knowledge can be powerful, you know? (laughs) So we knew what was going on. So it was at the end of the three weeks, we were able to go in and meet our children and um, that was just such a blessed time, even though it's been almost 15 years ago. I remember wow. it like it was today. And so that was our first trip. So then we had to come home and then we returned um, about three months later. And the one thing that God impressed upon us that we hadn't thought before is that when we went back on the final trip to bring them home, we took my mother. And we took our two teenage daughters who were 16 and 13. And that was a wonderful blessing. Actually, on the first trip, we had, it, it had not occurred to us to take anyone with us. But while we were there, as you know, you meet other adoptive families, which is awesome. God provides new friends and pillars of support for you. And we saw that other grandparents had gone and siblings. And we thought, what an amazing way for them to experience Vietnam, where their siblings are coming from, and there would be a connection there. But what we didn't realize is that it literally would take five of us to bring home two toddlers who were absolutely terrified. Mm. So in the end, our entire story is exactly how God wanted it to be. Wow. So how old were the children that you adopted and boy, girl, tell us. Yes, the oldest was our daughter and she was four and a half four and a half going on 10 (laughs) because she had always had to care for herself. And then our son was three and a half. And how old are they now? Now they are 18 and 19. Wow. 18 and 19. Incredible. Incredible. So, so you went and I love that idea of bringing the grandparents that had not occurred to us. We did, we did bring our, our, biological kids with us because we wanted them to have that experience and that connection uh, with their new siblings. And I'll never regret, you know, that was exactly the right thing to do. But what was the adjustment like when the kids came home? Did uh, did they attach? What, what challenges did you face? Because there's always challenges, right? So how did that play out for yeah. your family? The I'm going to be really honest. It, the adjustment was tough. In fact, The trip home was tough. And my favorite memory of my trip home is my son 
literally screamed on one of the flights for three hours. And that, that is really what our next six months was going to be like. But there was a little Japanese lady that sat on the aisle next from me. And at first she kept putting her, she would put her, she had a something, a coat with a hood. She'd put it over her head, then put a blanket over her head. And after about three hours, I tapped her on the shoulder and she spoke English. So I said, I'm so sorry. My son is screaming. He's so scared. We've just adopted him. He doesn't speak our language and he's scared. And so she pulled out of her satchel a piece of corn, um, like a corn on the cob that had been cooked and it was wrapped in foil. So she pulled it out, unwrapped it and handed it to my son. And immediately he grabbed it as if he was starving. He grabs it. And he starts picking off the kernels, eating them one at a time. And that helped him regulate and the screaming stopped. But her blessed words to me were, as we got off that very long flight, she patted him on the head and said, someday you're going to be a fine gentleman. Hmm. And I hung on to those words. She will never know how powerful those words are. Those were words given to her by Holy Spirit for me to hear. Mm. And then as we came home and days were tough, I never forgot what she had said. It's okay, Cam. He will be a fine gentleman someday. And he is. That is, that's a wonderful story. And it just makes me think like, is, is a cooked ear of corn on the cob a traditional something that one would eat just <laughs> I don't know wow wow I don't know you know we thought we, we really did think we were prepared we read we had read Karen Purvis's book Connected Child good and when I teach trauma care to families I'm very honest and I'll be humble and say when I read that book, I thought, this is just lazy parenting. <laughs> We've raised three children. They love the Lord. We, we were homeschooling. They do very well in school. They work hard. They serve others. They love Jesus. Like, w- we've got this. It's yeah. fine. We've got yeah. this. Yeah. I remember and, that. <laughs> I remember yeah. feeling that way at one point. <laughs> <laughs> And very quickly, you realize we don't have this. Yeah. We don't have this at all. So our son had night tears for about six months. Um, my daughter, we would learn um, eventually that in the orphanage, she had been cared by the older girls. So she had a very hard time attaching to me. She only wanted her two teenage sisters. So we had to, we had to greatly limit and be very intentional about what her sisters did with her and what I would do with her. So an example would be like right away, I started helping her with baths and picking out clothes. And then I would, I would say, Oh, let me help you do that. Mommy's love to do that. Just to try to get in her mindset. What is a mom? Mm -hmm. What do mommies do? Yeah. And so that was, that was a real struggle. So now you said it's been how many years? 15 years since they've 15 been? 15 years. Wow. So what are they doing now? What are the kids doing now? 
Well, my daughter is a freshman in college. She goes to Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and she has a real heart um, for life and for pro-life. And mm. and today, one um, one thing that I get to do uh, for part of my work, I work with Nightlight Christian Adoptions, is I have the privilege of visiting crisis pregnancy centers all over the state of Indiana. And she loves to accompany me when she's home. Uh, she's just in her element and she loves to share her story that she's adopted. And she's so thankful that her mom gave her life. Mm. And so she has overcome a lot and she's worked through a lot of those things in her life with the help of the Lord. And she, she's at a really beautiful place right now in her life. Wonderful. And what about your son? Yeah. So my son, he's a senior in high school this year. Um, because we live in a county with several colleges and universities, we've taken advantage of that as homeschoolers. That's something we can do. So he's actually taking some college classes now, but he will be um, entering Indiana Wesleyan in the fall and living at home and commuting, which is an awesome choice for him for many reasons. That's a really good choice for him. Um, and so the Lord has really done great things. And, you know, again, I want to be honest, we have had so many ups and downs. You you know, we, we are certainly not the perfect family and some days there are trials, but the Lord has gotten us through every time mm. because he doesn't change whatever's coming down the pike next. We know he's going to be there for us. Mm. Such an encouraging word for sure. Cami. So the kids came from Vietnam, you settled in, uh, at what point did you decide, because you adopted again and you did adopt from Ukraine. So what brought that about? Yes. Again, that is, that's a God story. So uh, the adoption age, by then I was working part-time for the adoption agency. Um, it actually started out volunteering. Our attorney said, Hey, you know, you were able to raise all this money. Would you work with families who might need help? I said, I would love to. That is my way of giving back. That that was, it was just a blessing, you know, it's a gift. And so um, I started out doing that just as a ministry. Um, and then I started working for them part-time and we were involved with the Ukrainian hosting program. And we had done this one other time. They had a 12-year-old girl and the hosting family for a reason that they couldn't control, had to back out at the right at the last minute. So they said, hey, would your family um, host this girl for the month? And we said, oh, yes, we would love to do that. Um, that was a Christmas hosting, a winter hosting. And so that went really well. But you know what? Uh, the Lord never impressed upon us that we should pursue adoption. We, of course, advocated for her. So we had done that before. Um, and that happened a second time. Uh, I believe it was in about 2000. Um, um, well, I have to think about that. Let's skip that. <laughs> um, they call us and say, hey, this time we have a seven-year-old and the hosting family cannot take her. Would you take her? We said, oh, yeah, we would love to do that. And everybody was on board in my family. And, you know, I really believe the minute she walked into our home, we knew she was a fit for our family. Mm. everything we enjoyed she enjoyed she just fit right in um 
as if she had always been here. The language barrier was not a problem. I mean, she did not speak English. She was a Russian speaker, but we made it work. And at the end of four weeks, when it was time for her to go home, you know, we send her back in tears. But my husband had said, we're done. Um, we're not going to adopt again. So I decided, you know what? If the Lord wants her here, he'll work it out. So it was about a month later. My husband and I were out to dinner one night, just the two of us. And he says to me out of the blue, you know, we need to go back and bring home Yulia. <laughs> and I said, yes, I know. I was just waiting for you to initiate that. Um, so we came home. And by that time, my adult, my uh, oldest daughter was married. So we got my daughter and her husband on um, Skype. We got, we gathered all the other kids around and told them. And my sweet son-in-law was the first one to speak. And he said, well, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> so they had been waiting. So that's how we ended up adopting from Ukraine. We sent her home in January. And that actually was a very smooth process. By November, we were making our first trip to pick her up. Wow. So that was less than a year, really, that, yes. that the process, once you knew you were going to adopt her, she had to go home and, and, and in less than a year. That's, that's incredible. I'm glad it was a smooth process. <laughs> yes, yes, that was. And then I went back in December. Actually, I left the day before Thanksgiving by myself and I went and, and got her by myself. I did the last trip. We stayed in an apartment in downtown Kiev and um had a sweet time together mm. and then brought her home and we were home by christmas wow well let me ask you this because the first time we had this conversation the war in ukraine had not started so you just said downtown kiev uh a place i'm very familiar with as well uh, i'm not sure what part of ukraine your daughter came from um, but i know it's just devastating to watch the news and see see places we've been destroyed and then we know people i'm sure you you know people who are there as well as i do uh and it's just it's just so hard to watch and not be able to do something so how is that affecting your daughter your family it's devastating and we are heartbroken as you are and everyone else uh julia is what, what we call her now, Julia. She was actually from the East. Mm. And as we took, we, we took a very long train ride, as you know, from Kiev to the Zaporozhye region and stayed there. And I love the train rides. That was one of my favorite things. And then from there, we, it was about an hour car ride to where she was. And already we saw signs of war. And um, if I have my history right, which I may not, but I think that was maybe in 2014, they'd had conflict. Yes. And we, we saw rubble all along the way. So she was, we were told her orphanage was about 60 kilometers from where all that had taken place. So she was very close to that anyway. Um, you know, we 
not knowing how long that would go on, we, we actually tried to shield her from that. And so as we will discuss later in the interview, some of her diagnoses, but, um, uh, she does have mild um, disabilities. And so we did not know how she would process that and hoping that it, it would not go on, it would be terminated. However, one day she had a school delay, maybe about two or three weeks into the war. And one thing that's very hard for her is disrupting a routine. So her dad takes her to school. And so not to disrupt that, they left and they went to McDonald's for breakfast Mm -hmm. during the delay. So that would feel more normal to her. She picks up a newspaper. It was plastered on the front and she read the article out loud. Now, my husband's first, when he called me on the phone, his first comment was, you'll never guess what. She read the article, the entire article. So we were rejoicing. (laughs) that she was able to, she had the skill to read it and had done it very well. But at that point, she started processing Mm. it. It took her some time to process it. And then as it went on, of course, lots of people are talking about it. Occasionally, it would be on the news here. And then eventually, after several weeks, it started sinking into her. Oh, what about my favorite teachers? Well, she had a very special name uh, for the man that helped us bring her home. Uh, he w- had a relationship with her and had visited her. And so she would ask about him. Oh, how's he doing? What about his family? So she started asking. So we started answering her questions and, and we had felt like we had to be honest But um, I've kind of had to change my discussions with her because then it led to a time period. Um, I would say about three days in a row, I I would pick her up from school. And the first thing she would ask is, how many people have died in Ukraine today? Mm. So I started sharing with her really some God stories. Um, You know, we connected with a lot of people there with a Bible college and pastors and God just like he does so many things that are bigger than we ever think, but he did some really big things in connecting us with our brothers and sisters in Christ there. So I have started sharing with her those God stories so that her mind is focusing on some of the good things that are happening so that to help her to not be so anxious Mm. over the war. Yeah, that's wisdom. How old is Julia now? 13. She's 13. So my, my Slava, um, like all of my, I have four kids born in Ukraine. So they all are processing this differently. My oldest son who's married and, and has a baby, him and his wife, um, he kind of doesn't want to talk about it. Like he is a kid who, when he came at the age of 10, almost 10, um, kind of left Ukraine behind and was determined to be American. So he's doesn't even want to have a conversation about it. It's like he's disconnected from it. Uh, my daughter, Anna, she did ask me where her passport, her passport was. And I said, it's expired. You can't go because she was like ready to fight. And, um, and then Jordan, um, who's very small in stature, um, also asked about a passport. And I said, you can't go either. So, um, but my daughter, Anna, 
texted me and said, this, this was probably maybe a week or two in, said, can you make borscht? And I said, yes, we will, I will make borscht and we will eat borscht and, and, and pray for Ukraine. So she said, okay. So I invited, you know, any of our kids who wanted to come. Not everybody's a borscht fan, but Anna has to have her borscht every, uh, you know, every, every birthday. So I made borscht and um, my, my, one of my other sons, um, his girlfriend is very Polish. Her last name is very Polish. And she said, well, we'll come and I'll go to the European store and I'll get, so she brought kielbasa and she brought, um, pierogi and galumpki and just all these you know very uh, eastern european foods and we had this little feast and we said you know a prayer for ukraine and that's how she really was able to process that but slava my youngest who's 16 fasd um we have to be very careful and not expose him to a lot of news because he will stress and have a lot of anxiety over it so we kind of shielded him from it initially then it became apparent like he knew what was going on um but when he he doesn't ask every day but when he asks what's going on in ukraine i usually say it's the same uh and the ukrainians are fighting very hard um and we have to pray for them so i just kind of and we don't have the news. I almost said something the other day, a couple of days ago, or was it, I think it was two days ago when uh, it was believed that some um, chemical weapons were used in Mariupol. When I saw the headline on my phone, I almost said to my husband, oh, and I almost told him out loud. And then I realized Slava was standing there and I'm like, oh, I'll just save this for bedtime. When we go to bed, we'll have a chat about it. But um, just having to be careful, not, you know, not wanting to stress him out, but it's, Very interesting how they all have a different perspective on that. So, but let's get back to Julia. So um, she came home and remind us again how old she was when she came home. She was eight Eight. when she came home. And uh, that was five years ago, almost coming up five years ago. Wow. Five years ago. And so what was the adjustment like when you brought Julia home? You know, the, the adjustment was tough because we saw a marked difference in her behavior and her personality from when she had been here from hosting. And, you know, I, I really don't know exactly why that is. However, I do have a small sense. I, I'd like to think maybe it's from the Lord. The summer that she was waiting for us to come get her, um, the kids were sent to a camp uh, by the water. And um, we know this from another family who um, adopted their kids during this time, actually got to visit the camp. There was um, very little amenities, no electricity. I don't even know about running water. I think it was a very rough summer for her. And um, something happened to put out a little bit of that light that was in her. We saw a marked difference when she came home. So we knew we were dealing with that immediately. Um, And as I'd stated before, we were homeschooling family. And um, so I had anticipated letting her adjust, starting some little schooling. And she did not handle that 
well at all. There came a point one day when she had a complete meltdown, threw herself on the kitchen floor and started screaming, "Um, my friends, my friends. And so, you know, she had um, at that point two siblings, oh no, four, four older siblings at home. Um, One was working. Basically at that time, I think I was just finishing up three homeschoolers but they were older. And then um, one of them had a job. And so it wasn't like she had been with 300, she, she had been with 350 other children every day. And I think she was grieving that. Mm. She was having a very hard time. So um, about three months in, we decided this isn't working. And as a homeschool family, we had always said, We make decisions based on the needs of our children. And that had worked up till that point. And it had worked uh, very well. This wasn't working for her. So we looked at our public schools available. We even talked to a a local private Christian school. But we picked the public school that um, was well known for their English um, language learning program and enrolled her there. So she started out doing Well, we started out just mornings only in a preschool classroom and uh, she acclimated to that very quickly. So then we jumped from staying in the preschool class in the morning and going to a kindergarten class in the afternoon. So we transitioned her in. So she has been in that school up till this point. Wow. So that was wise to see. I know we had done that. We did some homeschooling and then our youngest two ended up having to go to school. Now I'm homeschooling again. So it's it's always an adventure, but (laughs) you know how that goes. So now FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, is prevalent among foster and adopted children, whether it's diagnosed or not. It's also um, a high rate of that in children adopted from Eastern Europe, um, which both of ours are. Um, so what symptoms has Julia experienced? Have you been, did you, did you start to notice that there was something going on? Um, tell us about your experience with FASD. Okay. Um, and I guess you could say that we, we were very lucky in that her paperwork had listed that her mother was an alcoholic and Julia was child number seven. Mm. And so actually, I love this. Her birth mom was actually almost my age. We're just two couple of years off. (laughs) So again, I think God was smiling saying, Nope, you're not too old to be here, mom. I pick you. (laughs) Um, But yes, as soon as she started um, trying to learn, we, we knew pretty much right away. There were some learning difficulties there, some memory issues, Um, She had a very hard time um, learning to read, you know, and when you do homeschooling, you teach phonetically. And I just assumed she would learn maybe at a slower rate. We'll just slow it down, but she would be able to learn. So her her learning to read um, occurred um, in different ways. Um, She had a lot of trouble with language at first. She could only learn one syllable words. Um, so we did go down the road of having testing done. Um, the first couple of years at school, we kind of got a pushback from that. I think they really felt, no, it's just a language issue. 
once the Russian totally drops and she learns English, um, it'll be fine. But it, it wasn't getting fine. And we knew that. So we did see um, a couple of different doctors, but the pediatric geneticist immediately said that she was on the FASD spectrum. Um, and she was also diagnosed with expressive receptive language disorder, which means she has a lot of trouble um, not only receiving language, but expressing it as well. So it's kind of a double whammy, um, but that's her, those are her diagnoses. So then at that point we were able to get an IEP at school and kind of create a path, the path that we've been on for the last couple of years. Mm, very common kind of journey. I'm sure our listeners can um, can relate to that. And with FASD, making accommodations and focusing on our kids' strengths are keys to success uh, for them. Uh, what are some accommodations you've come to realize that you've had to make for Julia? Yeah, that that is a great question. Um, a lot actually, and the, and those change as well too. So some things that work for a while, then they end up and don't work. But some things that we've done, she needs a consistent routine. And I think um, instead of looking that as a negative, we embrace it. So one thing is that, um, one thing that I've learned is a lot of children on the fetal alcohol spectrum somewhere they may have sleep issues. So maybe they sleep a lot or they have a difficulty sleeping. Julia needs a lot of sleep. She needs 12 hours every night. So you know what? I embrace that. And I don't plan anything in the evenings. She's in bed at seven, between seven and seven 30 every night at the beginning of the week, it's more seven 30 by Thursday. She's very tired because her brain works so hard. She's in bed at seven. And we embrace that um, we because she likes routine and she likes to know what's going on. Uh, we use a calendar. And now that she can read um, any activity that involves really anybody in the family, I color code it on the calendar and she she gets a great security from reading the calendar every morning. She looks at it. She'll look at it when she gets home from school because she does have trouble remembering. And she knows she might forget there might be something really fun happening in our house tonight and she doesn't remember. So she's constantly looking at the calendar. That's been something that's been very helpful to us. Wow. I love that. I love that. So what are some of Julia's strengths? Because our kids all have strengths and I know that's super important for us to focus on as well. It is. She loves music and what's so fun about that is she has a wide variety of music that she loves. And my guess is at the baby orphanage, she was exposed to a lot of music. I know that she participated in little plays because I got to watch a video of one. She was, I don't know, maybe three or four in this little play. Um, but she loves music. She loves opera. She loves um instrumental music she loves your your disney type orchestra music she loves contemporary christian music so all kinds of music that she loves and she loves to sing and so she participates in the after school children's choir at her school 
Um, so we try to try to capitalize on that. She loves the art. She loves drawing, writing, coloring. Um, one of her favorite things is to uh, FaceTime my two grandchildren who live in Florida. They're six and eight and they'll have coloring parties. So they'll all get Aww. out their colors, markers, glittery pins, whatever. And they will set their set my little phone up there and their phone and color for an hour. So definitely creative art, music. And another thing I would say is I'm always telling her, you are such a loyal friend. Mm. She will go to bat with her friends at school, even maybe if she says one of them, was sad on a day. She will tell me what she tries to do to cheer them up. Um, even though I think she doesn't always understand how to do that. She wants to do that. Um, so she's, she will stick with her friends through thick and thin. And I would like to think that's a strength and a gift mm, that she has. Absolutely. Loyalty, definitely an asset. So now, uh, jumping from Julia to, um, foster care. You and your husband, Dale, became therapeutic foster parents. What were you thinking? No, I'm, not, I'm only kidding. <laughs> so what? tell us about that, your foster care journey. Yes, I will tell you what we're, we were thinking. Because, <laughs> you know, James 127 was there. And we had this idea that we would offer the training um, through a child placement service at our church and just get lots of people involved. You know, we've gone to CAFO for years and we've heard all the testimonies of the churches who have a very thriving foster care ministry. And that was our heart. That was in our heart. And we actually did have several people that did the training with us on location at our church. Um, so that's what we were thinking. For some reason, that wasn't the Lord's plan. But I know, even though our fostering story looks very messy, if it were a tapestry, the backside is really um, not pleasant to look at. It looks messy, but but God was doing something, and I'm, I still really don't even know exactly what he was doing, but I know he was doing something. Our fostering experience ended up to be very painful. That's just the, the most honest way I can state. So. We were at the church decorating for my oldest daughter's wedding. And that's when we got a call from the NICU that they had a newborn that was drug exposed. And would we take this placement? And we said, absolutely. So the day after my daughter's um, beautiful wedding, we go to the NICU and we get trained. And we had that placement for three months. So uh, one thing I vividly remember is we have a very long hallway in our home and the entire summer, all the, the decorations and the boxes from the wedding stayed stacked in the hallway because we were all out 24 seven caring for this precious little one. And it, it was tough. She had to be cared for every three hours for the entire three months we had her. And I remember at one point midsummer being so exhausted, my, um, my daughter and son-in-law said, mom, we're coming home for the weekend and you're just going to sleep and we'll take care of the baby. Um, 
So it was hard because she had medical needs and she was coming out of all of her withdrawals. But we were literally run ragged as so many foster parents experience and they know. And I I just say, God bless you because you're doing what God's called you to do. It was very difficult taking her to all of her appointments, medical appointments, keeping up with my children at home. And at one point at the end of the summer, um, DCS called us and said, we have a new home. We're moving her. Uh, it was quite a shock. Um, and so the result of that was, is that our daughter that was adopted from Vietnam got the idea that they could come and take her. Mm. It shook her sense of security. We were very well attached by then. And she was constantly crying. I remember standing at the window, looking at the driveway saying, are they going to come and get me today? We tried to explain to her, no, this was foster care. The plan is always reunification. Um, You are legally adopted. We are your mom and dad. They will only come and get you if we're mean to you. If we don't take care of you, we're going to do that. But she seemed to have a hard time with that. So we decided it was best to drop our license mm. and that that really wasn't healthy for our two adopted children at home. Um, I don't know why that experience ended like that. God knows. I know it taught me a lot and I was really disappointed that some of the, the people that we worked with, it appeared that they did not understand trauma and moving children around. Um, so actually I did go on a, a phone campaign and a letter writing campaign after that. I found out who was in charge of all that in our capital and, and just said, Hey, you know, we are an adoptive family too. I've been trained in trauma. Do you know, this is not best practice for these babies Mm. for any children to be moved. And then not even to have a preparation for me not to be able to talk to the next foster mama about some very definite medical needs this baby had. So I tried to use it to help educate some people who maybe didn't know, or maybe they were just so overwhelmed. They were just trying to get through the day and doing their job. So that was our experience with fostering. Wow. What an experience. So you mentioned trauma. So we know it's vital that foster and adoptive families receive trauma training because every child that comes through the door has experienced loss, some form of trauma in order for them to be in that situation. So at what point did you get trained in trauma? Was it after your children came home, the the two that you adopted from Vietnam or after Julia? At what, what point in the game were you getting trauma trained? Yes, it was pretty early on. I would say within two years from bringing our children home in Vietnam, I was totally blessed to receive a grant from Show Hope Hmm. to be able to go to Texas Christian University and be trained in TBRI with Karen Purvis. That was a gift from God. Yes. That totally changed my view of parenting and just parenting in general. It's just parenting with grace and parenting, I believe like Jesus parents. So that was huge. That started our journey of embracing a trauma care, being trauma informed and changing the way we parented. It changed the way we viewed our children's behavior. 
um, I, I will just be really honest and it's kind it's really embarrassing now actually i'm ashamed so but this is an example one of my children from vietnam had uh struggled with food insecurity mm-hmm. and and they had eat one of them had i had even punished them like punitive like punishment i hate to admit it for hiding food and sneaking food to their room But praise God, I was a quick learner. And once I heard Karen Purvis's teaching that this comes out of their fear brain, Mm -hmm. when you've lived four and five years and you've been hungry and food is scarce, that's very normal. And so immediately we made changes and those issues stopped. Um, We immediately had healthy snacks available I always said yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought them on that trip. I walked to the Target down the street, bought my kids fancy water bottles. That was their that was their souvenir. Mm-hmm. Made sure they were being hydrated. Those kind of things. And so I learned so much that I immediately started putting into practice and it, it made a world of difference. Yeah, it makes a world of difference for us as parents. And then how were you able to use that training to help other foster and adoptive families? Um, well, uh, let me add after that, then it was through CAFO that I become familiar with uh, back-to-backs trauma-competent care, mm-hmm. Jane Schooler has had a lot, been instrumental in putting that together. And now they have trauma-free world. So then I went on um, to be trained in that. So I am actually an affiliate trainer. And so because of that training I've had, I've been able to teach it in different avenues. Um, A local foster agency here in town has had me speak at their monthly meetings just to share what I, how I can encourage uh, foster families on attachment and connection. Um, I have been able to teach sessions at adoption conferences. Um, Sometimes I might be asked to do an affording adoption, which is more on how to raise funding. And then other times it's on attachment and connection. Um, So however the Lord, whatever door the Lord's opened that I can share it with people, I'm just very willing to do that. Mm, I love that. I love that because that's my heart too, right? The Lord kind of brings us through this. We're being obedient and not only are we adopting our children, but we're then being equipped to not only parent them, but to help other families on the same journey. So that's my heart and passion too. So I love that you're doing that. So, Cami, as we wrap up, uh, would you leave our adoptive foster and kinship parents who are listening some words of encouragement? Oh, yes. I think one of the first things that took me too long to learn that I would like to tell any parent, adoptive parent who's listening, foster parent, kinship care provider, that it's okay to parent each child differently. Each of our children have different needs, they have different strengths, and it's okay to change our parenting and it's okay to change the way we parent. I remember one thing we have always done, I have always done, 
And homeschooling has allowed me to do this is with my children. We always have devotion time in the morning. So we'll gather around and just read a chapter of scripture, talk about it, um, and then pray together. So when my two from Vietnam started um, coming to morning devotions with us, of course, I would let my son, my youngest son, have a little fidget. And I remember my older son one time said, wait a minute, mom, you never, I remember wanting to play with a matchbox car one time and you wouldn't let me. (laughs) And so I said, you're right. And I am so sorry about that because I should have. (laughs) So we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things differently. Some of our kiddos need fidgets and it's okay. (laughs) So I've learned that the hard way. Oh, To all moms and dads, we have permission to meet our children, to meet their needs. And that may look differently for for each one of them. Yeah. I think the second thing is to let go of expectations. Mm, Yeah. And one of your recent podcasts, Sandra, was so meaningful to me. They're all meaningful. I mean that sincerely, Um, but the one I'm thinking of is when you were talking about sometimes we do have to grieve Mm -hmm. losses. Yeah. Some of those expectations that we might've had, you know, where I thought I would be at this age in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, things that my family can do or can't do that I thought we would. Um, But it's okay. I really believe there have been, we've gained way more than we've lost. And the things we've gained have been eternal and nobody can take them away. Um, But we all do enter this with expectations. And honestly, it's not unlike any other big thing we do in life. Isn't it the same in marriage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) We enter marriage with expectations and uh, that changes. So it's the same with adoption and foster care. So, So those are two things I would say that you have permission to parent each child differently according to what they need. Number two, let go of expectations. And then I think kind of under letting go of expectations, probably a third one would be um, that as adoptive and foster mamas, we need to give ourselves grace. Mm, Yeah. Scripture says it's unwise to compare ourselves among ourselves. God doesn't do that to us or for us. And, you know, we can look at, photos of other adoptive families and we think oh what they must be the most amazing family Uh, like look there's so many of them and they're all smiling and happy but you know what we're all the same and this is a hard road and so we're going to make we're going to make bad decisions sometimes you don't know what you don't know (laughs) but just as Karen Purvis tells us to give our kids do-overs as mamas we need do-overs yeah. and God gives us do-overs and nobody's arrived at this. We are all in this together. And so I think that 
I hope that's encouraging to other moms who might be listening today. Absolutely. I know I'm encouraged. I'm sure our listeners will be encouraged as well. Cami, thank you so much for sharing your story and for all that you're doing to train and support adoptive and foster families to help them with that grant process. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. And thank you, Sandra. Oh, thank you for listening today. I hope that you were really blessed by uh, my conversation with Cami. I know we just, even after we stopped recording, we just kept talking and talking and talking and we're like, wait, we got to get to our family. So um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, be sure to subscribe to Orphans No More if you haven't already. Uh, keep in mind the name change, the adoptive foster care and kinship journey uh, is what this show will be appearing as uh, starting in June. But we want you to subscribe now and and let your adoptive and foster friends know um, about the show so that they can listen and be encouraged too. Uh, be sure to reach out to me just like Cami did again, um, Sandra Flack, JFO at gmail.com or through my website, uh, the ministry website, Justice for Orphans NY. Org. And you can check out my family's kinship and adoption journey uh, in my book. Uh, as Cami referenced the book, it was so sweet that she actually read, read, read out of the book, um, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, available wherever you buy books. If you grab a copy off of Amazon, whether you order the paperback or the Kindle version, please go back on there and leave a review after you've read it. I would just be so grateful if you did. Uh, and if you'd like a signed copy, um, I love to sign copies personally to folks, um, include a special gift bookmark in there, and I'll mail it to you myself. So if you want to order one of my books that signed and I send to you, go to my website, sandraflack.com. Uh, I also blog there regularly. I'll confess I need to get a new uh, blog post up there. I actually have two blog posts sort of brewing. I just have to sit down and type them out and get them out there for you. But those are there. You can also uh, contact me uh, through my website, through sandraflack.com. Or, and or through justicefororphansny.org if you'd like to um, contact me about speaking opportunities. So I'd love to come and speak at uh, your church or event. I'd also like to give a shout out to our Care Portal County sponsors, Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, and National Bank of Cooksaki. These businesses care about children and family children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do. So we're, we, we are grateful for them. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, justicefororphansny.org. We are in the process of updating everything on there. You'll be able to find all the things about this podcast, about our care portal uh, ministry, and about all of our FASD and trauma resources. There's going to be a whole brand new section on that. So stay tuned for that. I, and I will make the announcement on here when that is up and ready, um, but you can still go there and find resources so that you can be FASD informed. Um, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. J Justice for Orphans has both pages and I'm on, on both as well personally. 
And I'm just so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I hope you were blessed by my conversation with Cammie. I know I was. It was like therapy for me. Um, I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.